Moncrief on News Talk. TV on the radio. Roll it there, Kalef. Hey, how you doing? Bazinga. Well, I didn't expect a kind of Spanish Inquisition. One for everybody in the audience. It's going to be legendary. <laughs> you just crossed over into the Twilight Zone. Not another party, please. They already gave me a birthday party up here last week, and they're giving me a surprise going away party next week. So much of a surprise. It's tough to keep a secret up here. Look, Senator Tower is on the Appropriations Committee. I know. And I think this party was his personal idea. His chief of staff said he hand-wrote the invitation. I mean, come on, at least you know that he'll have a great bar. Okay, uh, but tell them it has to be a welcome home party, not, I repeat, not a birthday party. I don't want to see any more signs or banners or tiki mugs with the big 4-0 painted on them. They did the whole Luau thing. Tradition. <laughs> I'm sure I can talk them into it. I think it's more about celebrating the new job than your rapidly advancing years. That's For All Mankind, a new episode streaming weekly on Apple Plus uh, or Apple TV Plus. James Dempsey joins us uh, once again. Good afternoon, James. Good afternoon to you. So this is about the past, but it's science fiction, but not really the past. Yeah, exactly. And I have to admit, it takes a long time to even find out really what it is ultimately about. Because when I saw, you know, this is um, one of the launch titles when Apple TV launched in 2019. I think it's the very last of them that I've actually gotten around to even giving a go. And I think it's maybe the second one to return for its second season. And um, I have binged the entire 11 episodes since, I think, Saturday. And they're about an hour each, which tells you how busy (laughs) I've been at home. And um, the thing about it is, it is it, it just is an odd show that takes an awful long time to find out like to sort of present itself in what it is. So we we when we first meet it in episode one of season one, it's 1969. It's July. It's in a small town bar in Houston. Everybody is glued to their TV screens watching the moon landing. But uh, shock, surprise, it turns out that in this world, the Russians landed on the moon first. So Alexei Leonov is the first man to land on the moon. And this sort of kickstarts a revisionist view of the space race between the U.S. and uh, and uh, the USSR. And essentially what I thought then the show was about based on all of the stuff on the on the in the trailer or any material I had seen before was women astronauts, because that's the sort of key defining plot point in the second in the first season that uh, uh, you know a woman a, a, a female cosmonaut lands on the moon so nasa and the us under uh, uh, well under various different presidents decide that uh, some some real some not uh, decide to to introduce women into the space program and we get sort of five female astronauts egging their way in and it's like mad men in space right <laughs> so it's it's <laughs> like you know, misery and alcoholism and homosexuality and every possible kitchen sink, uh, you know, drama storyline thrown in with space travel and accidents in space. And I have to admit, the final three episodes of the first season are so outlandishly melodramatic that it is a soap opera. I mean, I have I have I, I, I can say that this is just watching the most expensive soap opera I have ever seen in my life. Now, that said, I really like it. I, I and it has. I have taken it in. I I've just taken to it in a way that I didn't expect, particularly from the first two episodes, which are very 
you know, apart from the kind of surprise twist of, oh, the Russians landed on the moon, like uh, the first two episodes are very run of the mill. You have Joel Kinnaman, whose agent is the hardest working person in Hollywood, who plays Edward Baldwin. He's you know, like the gruff, you know, stiff upper lip American macho father and uh, and, you know, troubled astronaut with a dodgy past and all this kind of stuff. And the first two episodes are really quite ordinary and not in any way particularly thrilling or exciting but once the women come on board it gains a bit of you know a bit of a unique selling point right because this isn't something we've seen before we haven't seen like the you know 1960s women astronauts training into the 70s launching into space then when it gets further into the season and now into the first episode of the second season, we have various different like established moon bases and uh, growing Cold War tension and Ronald Reagan as the president back in the US because we've also jumped forward a decade in time. And the first episode, I will say both the last episode of the first season and the first episode of this season were uh, were real treats, right? Everybody is doing excellent work. This is a huge ensemble cast. I cannot remember a single character's name, but uh, you know, <laughs> you know, but I know who they are. I know what their stories are. I'm as invested as I could be. There was a moment I will say, and even in the season one finale, where there was you know, you know, there, like something has gone wrong in space, and literally took my breath away. I exclaimed a <gasps> kind of like real shot. Like that's how, how much driven oh. into it. And in the first episode of season two, there's like a kind of a, you know, maybe a five minute sequence at the end of it. That's almost entirely carried out in silence. That is equally thrilling and exciting. I mean, it's, a, it's just like, we've had an awful lot of space content in the last, I would say two years. And uh, even though I'm late to this one, this one I have enjoyed the most of any of them because it is, you know, it comes from Ronald D. Moore. He wrote Battlestar Galactica. He wrote Outlander. He uh, was responsible for lots of different Star Treks in the nineties. He knows his way around space. I guess is the way to get around it. And it is thrilling and exciting. It looks like it cost a hundred million dollars, which it probably did. And once you get past episode two, it's worth sticking with. Right. Okay. And is there kind of a balance between the who's bonking who plot lines and the kind of larger geopolitical aspects of this? So they sort of tie in a lot of kind of uh, vintage footage and deep fake footage, I would say, of Reagan and Ted Kennedy, actually, who crops up as a president for a while as well. And uh, then there is an awful lot. There, I mean, there's a there's an exact balance between the, the the astronaut kind of stuff and the and the back on Earth kind of stuff. And really, uh, like, there's, you know, so we have, as I said, Joel Kinnaman plays Edward. An actress named Chantelle Van Santen plays his wife, Karen. I thought she got rather short shrift in the first season by just being the kind of doting wife. And she, you know, and, and that is true. But by the second season, she's far more developed in the way she previously was. We also have a married couple, Gordo Stevens and Tracy Stevens, you know, husband and wife uh, astronauts who are based on two of the real astronauts. I can't remember which two they are, but um it does manage to juggle quite well these sort of personal stories. Now, I will say sometimes it kind of can't, it tries to have its cake and eat it all in the sense that it sort of ignores racism, but it leans heavily into homophobia and and it kind of picks and chooses which social issue it wants to kind of mine for drama more than others. Hmm. But all in all... Now, d- does that, sorry to interrupt, does that mean yeah. like there's no racism in this made up 1960s, but there is homophobia or the reverse? 
well, so we have we have both a, a black female astronaut and a, a closeted lesbian astronaut uh, in, in in the training program. And certainly I think no one is I mean, they acknowledge the existence of race, certainly. But uh, they, racism doesn't seem to be a problem in 1969 through to 1984 in as far as I've or 80, whatever we've seen it mm. in the show so far. But they do also then tie in a subplot involving like illegal um, illegal immigrants to the U.S who've crossed over from Mexico and how they get involved even in the space program in a somewhat roundabout way is quite intriguing and interesting. It, you know, for, for such a large uh, cast of characters, everything is juggled quite well. Obviously, some people get more screen time than others, but um, on the whole, I think it is like if you go into this knowing it is the most expensive soap opera you're ever going to watch, you're going to have a good time here. And what I also liked was we actually got an Irish astronaut <laughs> in the first episode of season two. Uh, Doreen Campbell was her name, and she's she's floating around the earth taking pictures of the sun at a rather pivotal moment. And it was, you know, it, 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 it caused a little uh, beat of patriotism in my heart. All right, that's good to know. To see it. <laughs> Doreen Campbell. Uh, we must put a bid in for her. Uh, I don't know what she asked. Well, Penny O'Brien is the actress, it, but Doreen Campbell... <laughs> Well, I do remember when, uh, in, like on Star Trek The Next Generation, where they had Miles O'Brien uh, was like the first Irish character on Star Trek and somebody sent in a letter to one of the papers saying it's great to see in the 24th century we're building <laughs> starships rather than cleaning them. Uh, so, <laughs> so that's a bit of advance for us. Uh, right, so it's so, uh, th- but the usual question, is this worth the subscription to Apple Plus? It's certainly worth uh, look. Apple Plus is probably the Apple TV Plus is probably one of the is probably the cheapest one out there, right? And it's up to people to make their own correct decisions based on their fiscal properties at any given time. I would say this is definitely worth giving a go in your week's trial, and certainly uh, because the episodes are going to be coming one by one. If you take to it as much as I have, you'll you'll want to go the distance as well. Right. Okay. Right. A few bits of uh, TV news now. And you were telling us about the reboot of uh, of Fraser uh, a while in ago, and that seems to be all over uh, the media today. Uh, Fatal Attraction and uh, The Italian Job are now also coming back. Uh, it is like being back in the 1960s and 70s. <laughs> so, yes. Yeah, so CBS All Access is rebranding as Paramount Plus. I think it starts next month. And obviously Paramount as a movie studio has a whole back catalogue of many, many well-known and fondly remembered titles that they can, you know, destroy. (laughs) And uh, five of them have been listed as uh, movies that they're going to turn into TV shows. The, The most famous two of which I suppose are Fatal Attraction and The Italian Job. The Italian Job is the most developed one so far because we even have a log line of what that's going to be about. So Charlie Croker, who is the Michael Caine character, his grandson finds like a hidden clue that sets him off on this global quest to uncover buried Italian bullion. And that's what that's going to be. As for Fatal Attraction, I'd say it's bad news for bunnies. But <laughs> other than that, uh, we're also going to get reboots of um, Love Story, The Parallax View and and Flashdance. But like this is a bit of a, you know, a bit of a crapshoot for any producer because the problem with taking a beloved property is people don't like when you make changes to it. And mm. inevitably, you have to make changes to it in order to get, you know, six, eight, ten episodes out of it. So it, it, it we'll see how it goes, basically. Yeah. Uh, now, another example. Well, I don't know if it's an example of rebooting something rather than mashing two things together. Avatar, The Last Airbender. Isn't that two yeah. separate films together at last? <laughs> no, it's not. So Avatar, the James... Uh, which Cameron. I, 
Cameron, thanks. Yeah. I mean, there's I think there's like four sequels of that coming and they they will be on their way at some point. But Avatar The Last Airbender is a now nearly 20 year old cartoon series that debuted on Nickelodeon maybe 15 years ago, it was developed 19 years ago. And it has become this absolutely I mean, it's gone from cult to, you know, to 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 massive success insofar as when Netflix reacquired the cartoon series last year, it was one of its biggest acquisitions of all times and was in the top 10 of Netflix all over the world the whole year long. Hmm. And a lot of people haven't seen it, but if, if you have children, I would happily sit down and watch this with them. Uh, you're not going to like the first two episodes. <laughs> it's a bit of a for all mankind. But once you push through that, you're really, really, really going to buy into it. And Netflix bought the rights to create a live action series. But actually, the creators of the cartoon, Brian Konietzko and uh, Dante DiMartino, they've left that and they've now gone back to Nickelodeon and have created this Avatar Studios. So they're going to build off whole new franchises from the from well from this single model starting with a live action movie and you know to the listeners out there who have seen it they probably do love it and to those who are not interested i'm sorry but it is well well worth seeking out right okay uh, and for uh, and sounds like uh the fans of it are really like diehard fans of it. Absolutely. Uh, right. We do have to uh, talk about uh, two more programs with James. In the meantime, we have to take a break. You are listening to The Moncrief Show on News Talk. Back in a couple of minutes. You are listening to The Moncrief Show on News Talk. James Dempsey uh, is still with us. He was talking to us uh, before the break uh, about For All Mankind. Uh, new episodes are streaming weekly on Apple TV+. Plus. Though I, I assume, James, the, uh, the entirety of season one is there. Yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, one texter says, I'm actually sick of space shows. How many more can there be? Well, never ending supplies. Uh, somebody else says, uh, damn it. James just sold me on the show. Now I'm going to have to watch it. It's so annoying. No, I agree with you. It is totally annoying when he does that because you go, mm, yeah, now I'm going to have to spend more <laughs> money. Uh, has James seen Prodigal Son? I'm six episodes into season two, uh, but seems to be the best hidden gem in years. Michael Sheen is outstanding. Uh, says Colin. Have you seen Prodigal Son? I did. I I didn't fondly review it on this slot a while back, but that would say I wouldn't have gotten past certainly episode four of season one. So put it this way: if that if that viewer has gotten all the way to season or season six, episode two, they obviously like it. Right? Yeah. So keep keep at it because it's uh, for keep, you. I, the thing is that I suppose it depends where it is in Michael Sheen's career arc, but uh, I certainly laterally Michael Sheen has just turned into a a parody of Michael Sheen. Uh, where it's just shouting uh, all the time and being com- uh, completely over the top. Uh, is, somebody else wants to know, is there going to be a Walking Dead movie? I've heard rumblings, says this person. Have you so, heard any rumblings? Yes. So they first announced that in 2019, that there was going to be a movie. And it's basically Andrew Lincoln left the show as Rick Grimes, you know, two years ago and has mysteriously disappeared. I think there's been kind of like an ongoing mystery. That said, I gave up on The Walking Dead at least five years ago if not more my understanding is it's due to start filming in the in the spring summer in the u.s that's according to andrew lincoln and an and a interview on nme that i'm looking at right now so yes it's on its way right okay we'll move on to our second show of the day it is hellstrom uh, episodes one and two now streaming uh, on disney plus here's a clip honey this is... i really don't care the problems began several months ago outbursts like tourette's Cursing continuously. Yes, I read the email. Upstairs? Yeah. But, uh, don't you need a Bible or crucifix something? No, I'm good. Uh, though I could use a restroom. 
Just uh, through the kitchen. That's Hellstrom there. There was a bit of hiss there afterwards. I thought something more exciting was going to happen. Anyway, uh, that's Hellstrom. It's uh, it's on. Uh, it's actually. I should be, be more precise. It's on the Star, the new Star service uh, on Disney Plus. We might have a word about that uh, in just a moment. But this show is it, uh, it zombies or vampires or one of them things. So this is a very unusual show to you know for for, for you know and it's it's one of we'll say the launch titles for Star on Disney Plus um, and it's particularly odd that they would that you know they would present this as like a, a Star original when I can tell people it's already been cancelled so you're getting one season of this they are also releasing one episode a week even though the show has been cancelled which I think is a very odd way to go about it myself <laughs> so the other thing that's quite odd about this is. For all intents and purposes, this is actually a Marvel TV show, but Disney, uh, in in its uh, in its wisdom, has completely and utterly stripped away all of the Marvel kind of insignia or anything to do with it because I think actually they don't want children to come across it because it's quite dark and a bit spooky and scary mm. and fairly visceral at the same time. It is based on a couple of um, Marvel comic characters, ones that I have never heard of, Damon Hellstrom and Anna Hellstrom. They're this uh, grown-up pair of estranged siblings whose mother, played by the rather aptly named Elizabeth Marvel, who is by a mile the single best thing in this. You'll know her from... A House of Cards and Homeland, where she uh, plays uh, always quite kind of dodgy, is she right, is she good, is she bad kind of character. Mm. Anyway, um, their mother is, uh, well, has been taken over by a demon who un- unfortunately also goes by the name Mother. <laughs> and uh, basically this pair of adults, they both have kind of special powers, Damon as far as I can tell, can do sort of demonic things with fire and Anna has some sort of psych, you know, uh, telekinesis or something or other. Anyway, it's all very, very run-of-the-mill, exorcism-y type tropes insofar as um, it is about them encountering demons and, and you know, casting them out and, and over... There's like an overarching theme involving uh, a sarcophagus and a skeleton and a, a big bad demon, right? And it's fairly schlocky and by the number of stuff... I would say it is neither good nor bad. It is, it is, if you are interested in this kind of stuff, you'll probably find an awful lot here. What is more interesting is that this was originally part of what was supposed to become its own sort of subsection of the Marvel TV universe. And it was going to be all these sort of horror characters or creepy bump in the night characters or ghost and phantom characters. And this was the big launch title of that entire wing. And it has gone out with a bang and a fizzle already because this debuted in the US on Hulu, I think last October and by the end of its of its nine or 10 week run, it had already been cancelled. So I just think it's a very odd thing for Star to sort of present as like this, you know, ooh, Star original. This is something you may <laughs> want to watch when I can already tell you it's it's arrived as a failure. I have to admit, on, I think it was Tuesday that Star debuted, what I said about it was it was like looking at the in-flight entertainment <laughs> on a long-haul plane. And a it, budget airline as well, for that matter. It just was, it, it was very, very few things that were not already available on another subscription service that I have, or that were even or or or, or new, right? <laughs> it was a lot of like 
90s and I would say early, you know, first decade of the 21st century movies that I probably had forgotten <laughs> even mm. existed. And it certainly didn't massively pique my interest. Now, I'm an, I'm an OG subscriber to Disney, so I have another year at the same rate. That, you know, I guess I signed up for one year. I can understand, like, I, I'm happy to hang around for another. And I do appreciate that um, this is adding more adult fare to the service, right? I can imagine if you only had Disney Plus and no children, you'd yeah. probably be wondering, what are you getting out of this exactly? There, there is a bit more, you know, certainly they're adding a bit of depth, but there was an awful lot of advertising and fanfare about this. And frankly, it didn't live up to any of its expectations. Oh, no, absolutely. Well, on Twitter, now these must have been people who were paid for it. Like it was loads of people going, oh, my God, they've got Family Guy or whatever. You know, like you can't see that in 20 other channels. Uh, it's uh, very strange indeed. Right. We'll move on uh, to the third show of the day. It is Gordon Ramsay's Bank Balance. Uh, it's on tonight at 9 p.m. on BBC One. Here's a clip. Where are we going? Okay, classic TV. Classic TV? Classic TV it is. Okay. I need two characters who appear in all 12 episodes of Faulty Towers. Your time starts oh, now. Oh, Wait, you know what, yeah? What's the... Oh, it's the Mexican guy. What's his name? I don't know. No, no. What's, who's the Faulty? What's it named after? Someone Faulty? Mr. Faulty. Oh, are you sure? That's what the guy calls him. Mr. Faulty. Okay, but what's the... I don't know his no. What, what's the... What, no, no, what's no. the Mexican... I don't no, know! I'm telling you, yeah? No, chill, 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 chill. There's a Mexican guy, yeah? The wears a moustache, he wears a hat. Oh, my gosh, what's his name? Mr. Forty, say something! All right, Mr. Forty. I think it's going to be... Is that right? I told you, man, I shouldn't have done that. Can't accept Mr. Forty. Do, do you want me to piss as well? Because when that Mexican guy's name comes you up... You wasn't saying anything. Yeah, I'm sorry, I can't accept your answer because it's racist. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that he wasn't from Mexico. Uh, has Gordon Ramsay ever done a, a, a game show like this before? Not that I'm aware of. And in the press for this, he, uh, you know, he he's saying that it was he was like a champion of this, that he brought this idea to the BBC as part of a production company that he helps run and that it's based on a board game that he has become obsessed with. And this is, um, I kind of wish they would spend just a little bit more explaining the rules because I have watched... I, well, I've watched it sort of one and a half times because I watched it the first time and I was like, I don't quite understand what the rules are. I'm going to be talking about this on national radio. I want to watch it again. So I watched the first half a second time and I still don't fully understand what all the rules are. Basically, a duo come on and they take part in 12 rounds and they um, each time. So they pick up a number that corresponds to a, a position on this balance board. And when they when they select a topic, they can decide how many how many questions they wish to answer, which corresponds to the amount of weights that they put on the balance board. And the weights also correspond to thousands of pounds. And the ultimate goal is to earn one hundred thousand pounds. The problem is anytime they get a question wrong, they have to put all the weight on the board as well as well as penalties and if the board flips over at any, at any time they lose all of the money that is my understanding now it is the most <laughs> that sounds stupid right it's, it's the most needlessly high concept game show ever but the other thing is like it sort of sounds akin to tipping point or or you know a kind of a daytime mm. early evening game show that is hosted by, you know, a, a jobbing TV presenter rather than Gordon Ramsay. 
And I guess part of the allure of getting Gordon Ramsay is he's known for being very fiery and cursing and so on and so forth. But this is BBC One at 9 p.m., like 9 p.m. on Wednesday, Thursday and Friday of this week and next week as well, which is a like this is a big, you know, big deal to hand over those primetime slots to him. And he, he, he drops the odd F word or the odd S word here or there. But really, like he actually is quite bland <laughs> in the whole thing. And the questions, uh, I mean, the whole concept just to be to, to me seemed like it needed to be pared down just a little bit that they, you know, perhaps they should have been allowed to stack them wherever they wanted rather than having to stack them where they're told to. Because so far, I mean, we only saw w- one duo uh, wash out so far and another pair start who will be continuing tonight but I can't quite see how the, anyone is going to win any money because by the look of the draw you could just be completely and utterly snookered by the whole thing and that doesn't make for an interesting or fun thing to watch yeah it's it, it sounds like snakes and ladders really <laughs> it does yeah it does it's a bit too much luck and and as and and they spend so long bickering about the whole thing, they have a minute to do this whole thing to get the question to get the question or multiple questions right, and then stack the device on the other thing. It's all just ludicrous, really. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well we can uh, gladly give that one a miss, James. Uh, thanks as ever, uh, James Dempsey there. Moncrief on News Talk.